We're beginning a, a series of sermons this week on the uh, Beatitudes in Matthew's Gospel, the attitudes to be, you might call them. Uh, so I'm going to read them to you, because I think we're going to have a video for the actual reading. So let's hear the Lord's blessing on those who follow him. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who suffer persecution for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, and yeah, as Steve said, we're starting this new series on the Beatitudes, um, which I've never done before in a church, but it seems like it's such an, a really obvious one to do um, because the Beatitudes, the, the attitudes that we are meant to be, this is really seen as kind of the, the crux of Jesus's teaching on how do we, how do we live our lives? How, what does it look like? to be a child of God living in this world? What does ethical living look like? Um, and how can we recognize the character of God and citizens of the kingdom of heaven, each other? How do we recognize each other in our world? So in my reading, um, I found quite a mix of ways to kind of read these passages. And we could take um, the words... To, to mean very literally kind of what they say is in we're talking specifically to um, the poor, the mournful, the meek, the hungry. Um, but my understanding was that when Jesus was talking, he often spoke on kind of dual levels. He sort of had like there was a shallower understanding and then there was a deeper spiritual understanding. And I think that's what comes across in the Beatitudes. So we could read these as ways to, to comfort um, that people who are listening to them would be comforted if they were grieving, if that they would be encouraged um, in those attitudes. But I think that when we look deeper into the, the links, um, sort of the second half of it, um, we, we understand the deeper level. I think I've not really explained that very well. But, but sort of if we're looking at the first one, um, which we'll do today, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those two things together, I think we understand deeper meanings on each one of them. So let's explore the first one. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit. I keep saying blessed, and I don't know why, because it's blessed. Um, but I'm just so used to reading it like that in some ways. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so if we break that down a bit, what do these words actually mean? What does it mean to be blessed? Well, the Greek word here is makarios, and that means sort of to be, to be happy, um, to be incredibly fortunate, or to have this internal sense of joy. And this kind of feeling of being blessed, it's not a happy in terms of when life's, when life's really good and we feel happy and, and positive, and that's, and that's great. It's talking about that, that deeper-rooted kind of con contentedness, perhaps, with when there are the ups and downs and changes in life. It's saying it, it's, it's that kind of attitude and, and position of feeling 
blessed, that we are still blessed even when things are difficult. And this blessing is not something for the future. It's a blessing that we can have now. It says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. You are blessed now if you are poor in spirit, Um, which is great. So let's find out with each of these things, how can we be blessed? How can we have that that kind of um, constant kind of feeling of of happy and contentedness? Um, Because life definitely has its ups and downs and it's not always a joy, is it? So let's see what Jesus says about how, how we can have that state. So if we start with poor in spirit then, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, if we look at kind of what the words actually meant, the word poor wasn't just that you didn't have much. It was that you were destitute. You have absolutely nothing to give. You've not got a couple of pennies to rub together. You are completely destitute. And your spirit is kind of like yourself, maybe even kind of your your soul in your innermost being, being destitute in your innermost being. So what does, what does that mean, kind of destitute of your innermost being, of yourself? Well, it's not about feeling low or downtrodden or crushed. And we're not talking about being poor financially either. It's about recognizing how completely destitute we are in our position before God, our spiritual poverty And it makes sense for this beatitude to be the first because it's the first step in our walk with the Lord. It's where we all start if we want to live as children of the kingdom of heaven. We all start at the beginning in that humble recognition of where we are in relation to God. In Romans 3.23 it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all destitute in what we can offer God. We are in a place where we are spiritually bankrupt before God and we can do nothing but be beggars in front of him. In the Eucharist prayer before communion, one of the phrases that we say together, and it always hits me this one, um, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs from under your table. Um, Now, I don't know what that kind of looks like, but if you've ever had kind of dinner with small children there's just carnage under tables and it's it's a bit grim to be honest because it's sort of got spit in people's mouths and you know it's just stuff everywhere it's not very pleasant but um but it's kind of saying we're not even worthy to gather the the base the fragments of the food that god that god offers we we're not worthy of even that and um, sometimes this prayer, um, that, that prayer before communion is, is referred to as the prayer of humble access. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. It's that recognizing our humility before God, that we can access God, and we'll come on to that, but it's through a position of our humility, of our understanding of where we are in relation to him. Poor of spirit or being destitute of ourselves is about recognizing that we have nothing to offer God in place for our salvation. God is perfect and holy, and we are completely imperfect and unholy by nature. This means that all of the daily Bible studies, all the church rotors that you've been on, all the times that you've forgiven again and again and again, And all the times that you've stepped out for God, all the things that we've done for God, 
Actually, we're still here. We're still in this place of not being worthy before God. And that feels really hard, doesn't it? All these things that we've done, and it doesn't get us any closer to earning our way to be with God. How does, how does that feel? Just have a think about that. Think of all the times when you stayed up late at a PCC meeting or um, kind of doing the finances, Pippa, um, or, or praying for people in earnest, the times that you spent with God. That doesn't earn you a place with God. And in some ways, I think this is one of the hardest things to get your head around in the Christian faith because it's so counter to our nature and culture. We strive to prove ourselves, don't we? Um, we've kind of, a lot of young people have been sort of having exams and there's all this pressure on young people to kind of to prove themselves academically. Um, and, and that can be such a burden on them um, to prove themselves and perhaps us as adults and, and young people as well, we want to evidence our worth, don't we? So whether that's in material things that we buy, is that kind of the, the pressure to, to buy a house um, or to, to wear certain clothes um, or even kind of how social media plays an impact on our lives. There's a pressure to have, that, to have a status. Um, but where, do, where does that come from? What does, what does that gain us in front of God? We're still in this helpless state, um, and we can't do anything to get ourselves out of that. But please hear me in this, that when I talk about unworthiness, I'm not talking about our identity and our value to God. It is, the Bible is so clear that we are precious to God, that we are so valuable, and it's because of our value to him and his love for us um, that he that he sent his son to die for us. When I'm talking about unworthiness, I'm talking about our ability to achieve salvation by our own works, our ability to do it by ourselves. There's a a program, Alcoholics Anonymous, that follows a 12-step program, and the first step is admitting that you are powerless over alcohol. And I think that, in a sense, we have a similar place in front of God, don't we? There's that first step, is admitting that we are powerless over our own salvation and recognizing that humility before God. It is true realization that we're powerless over our spiritual state before God and that makes us humble before the Lord. It is this humility and poverty of spirit that leads us then to open our hands Instead of grasping onto things, these things like social media, our status, our wealth, our looks, instead of grasping onto these things, instead we can open our hands before God and we can ask Him to come into our lives and to accept that unconditional gift of love for us. We can battle with ourselves and try to earn our place before God. Um, beat ourselves up for not living for him or doing enough for him when the whole time God is reaching down to our destitute state and pulling us up towards him. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of his great love for us. Because our worth is in our identity as his child. It's not in anything that we've done, anything that we achieve, all those, those things that we were thinking about before, the things that we do, it's nothing to do with those. 
It's our identity as his child and that God sent Jesus to die for us, to bridge that gap, to pay the price so that we become worthy of standing with Jesus. We're made worthy through Christ. In Ephesians uh, 2 verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I'm going to just read that again, because it's such a powerful um, verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. When we stop relying on ourselves, on our achievements, and when we have emptied our hands of the things that we use as bargaining tools before God, those pennies that we've collected to pay, then we have our hands free to accept God's gift to us. In relinquishing the little that we have, we open ourselves up to that gift, the wealth, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Through God's grace, he lifts us out of that painful, worthless state, and he sets us on our feet. He invites us into his banquet, and we become inheritors of the kingdom of God. Now, at the away weekend, um, hands up if you were at the away weekend. Hey, quite a lot of people. Do you remember this painting? You can just about see it. Does anybody remember that? Do you remember who painted it? Rembrandt, yeah. So this, is, um, this was a painting. You can't really see it very well, which is a real shame. Um, we were shown this, this image. It's a, a painting by, by this artist, Rembrandt, of, of his depiction of the prodigal son returning. It's another way that Jesus described this experience of recognizing our position before the father. So in the story, it was the son who had squandered his inheritance. He'd left his father, walked away from it all, and and basically squandered all his wealth, just did what he wanted to do. And eventually he came to a position of being, being out of money. His friends had left him, and and he ended up being in a pigsty, craving the food that the pigs were eating. He was in that desperate state. And that was the son's low point. That was his destitute of self moment. That was his poor in spirit moment of realizing, wow, kind of I'm, he, was, he was unworthy of being his father's son because of what he had done, but thought he could beg his father um, to be a worker. He would call upon the Father's mercy. And that was that, that image of kind of having your arms outstretched. I think that's what the son was doing at the time, was realizing his unworthiness, but still had his arms outstretched and saying, I've got nothing. I'm destitute. That's, that's it. I can't do anything. I've got nothing to bargain with my father about. But I'm going to go and ask for mercy. But what did the father do? We know that joyous story that the father not only showed mercy, he ran towards his son. He ran 
which was just not the thing that you did in that day. So he would have probably embarrassed himself in front of people. He threw his arms around his son and threw a party for him. And that's what the Lord calls us to. He's saying that if we, if we open our hands, if we ask him, then he will pull us up. He will throw a party for us because we have asked him, because we have taken that position of being humble before him. To really understand God's grace, I think that we all need to sit in that metaphorical pigsty. And I don't know whether you've, you've had that experience before of where you've had a time when you've just thought, oh gosh, God, I'm just not worthy. And, and it's brought you to tears. I just want you to have a think. Was there a time in your life where you felt like that? Was there a time when you just felt, gosh, God, I can't do this in my own strength? That was a really bad decision I made. That was really poor judgment. That wasn't honoring you. But God doesn't leave it there. God says, great, good you finally, finally got to the point where you've realized that there's nothing that you can do to offer me, but I have everything to offer you, that I can pull you up and that I will celebrate you, that I will take joy in you. It's God's love and grace that causes him to run to us, to make us righteous, nothing that we have done ourselves. So what does it look like to live as people who are poor in spirit? Well, firstly, I think there's that literal translation again, that humility before God that we were talking about. Where in your life do you think you might be striving to earn your place with God? Is it in work? Is it in what you give to church? Is it in your servant giving, perhaps your giving to other people? Is it financial what are the reasons that you're doing these things? Is it to earn your place? Is it to prove to God? Is it to bargain with God for something? Let's remember that although each of these things are good and are wonderful as, as, a, as an outpouring of our thanks for God, they're not what earns us our salvation. They're not what earns us God's love. And they're not what earns us our value. I just want you to have a think. What might be that area of life be? Where do you need to focus on this week? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And secondly, I think we need to adopt a position of humility towards others. We read that verse before, didn't we? All have sinned and fallen short of the kingdom. All of us. That doesn't mean that there's a hierarchy. That doesn't mean that we can either look down on other people when they've messed up. And it doesn't mean that we can look at other people and think they're perfect. None of us are perfect. We are all on the same level before God. We are all saved by grace alone and not by works. Uh, my mum sometimes describes evangelism as one beggar uh, telling another beggar where to find food, um, which I think is a, a lovely analogy. Um, and it's not that crumbs under the table either. It's that banquet 
there's that, there was that story, wasn't there, in the Bible of sort of where um, of the, um, oh, the person who was throwing a banquet and just saying kind of call people from the street, call them from the towns. It was, though, I imagine those beggars telling each other, hang on, there's food over here. Let's go, let's celebrate. And gosh, what a feast that would have been for somebody who has not had food, who was destitute. What would that have been like? And that's what it's like for us, isn't it? That we are just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. Um, And that food can come from God and only comes from God. So let's demonstrate that humility in the way that we speak to one another. Not being proud or boastful about what we do for God. But doing it in a joyful spirit and only as an outpouring of our response to God. Not as something that we think we need to earn. So where in your life do you need to be maybe a bit more humble? Maybe do you need to be humble towards a friend um, or perhaps your non-Christian friends or even kind of other people at church? Where do you need to encourage others who are struggling in their walk with God, who are on that, who are just finding it really hard at the minute? and need that encouragement that it's not that everybody else is perfect and that they're not? Where do you need encouragement? Where do you need to maybe change your perspective that it's not that you're the only one that's messing up and not doing great at the minute? We all mess up, but we are here to encourage each other. That is the family of God, and that, I think, is what church is meant to be. It's just meant to be giving each other a bit of encouragement and support. And we're all going to, to go up and down at different times. Um, I've got sort of a friendship group of, of sort of four of us that are really close. And we, we sort of had um, a year, or, what was it, about three years or something like that, when um, we were just all having a really tough time at different points. And we kind of recognized it that at any one point, there was always one person that was okay. You know, sometimes it was three were okay and one wasn't doing well. Sometimes it was two were okay and two weren't doing well. But there was always one person that was like, okay, I'm just going to mop you all up. It's all right. We'll, we'll, we'll have coffee together. And sometimes we'd just sit in a room and cry and this one person would, would be sort of like, right, I'll just bring the tissues and the tea and it'll be fine. And I think, in a sense, that's what church is, isn't it? That we all, we all have our ups and downs, and it changes who's, who's having a good week and who's having a bad week. But the important thing is that we can share with each other, that we're not boasting about, oh, kind of, I'm having a perfect time, and my, my spiritual life is excellent, and me and Jesus are, you know, are doing great. We need to be humble with each other. We need to love each other, to support each other. Um, but that also means when we're, when we're doing a bit stronger, let's keep an eye out for those who are maybe not, because our turn will come soon. Hopefully not too soon. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And finally, I think if we can realize our utter dependence on God for our salvation, how powerless and broken we are before him, and yet... How great is his love for us. This should bring out that blessed nature, that joy in us, that recognition that we have been blessed by God, that no matter what the ups and downs of life bring, we are loved by the almighty God.
and the kingdom of heaven is ours. What does that bring out in you? Does that bring that, that joy, that happiness, that realization that, oh, thank goodness it's not up to me. It's entirely up to God and he has already done it. He has already, he has already brought me out of that pit and brought me to be with Jesus. How, do, how does that sit with you? Because if you're kind of like, oh, I'm not really sure, I'd say, I'd, I'd challenge you on that. Be like, actually, Jesus says, if we recognize that, if we recognize our poverty in spirit, we should feel that, that peace. So if maybe that doesn't feel like it is at the minute, I'd just encourage you to pray about that and to, to talk to somebody um, if you're in a small group, maybe something that could be something to talk with with somebody at a small group about, or sort of how other people, how other people experience that. And that doesn't, again, sort of. I just want to stress that doesn't mean that you always feel happy, that everything is always good. But it's that inner contentment. It's that right. God, God knows. God knows. And thank goodness it's not up to me that my salvation isn't dependent on me. But we can have joy, we can have contentment in knowing that our salvation is as a result of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's been a couple of books that I've been reading um, lately. I'm, I'm really not one for reading Christian books, partly because I just like to switch off at night and I prefer a novel. Um, but also I find books really some Christian books are really challenging, aren't they? They're just exhausting. And you think, oh, I don't, I don't really want to know how I can improve. Um, <laughs> so, so you're getting an insight into my life in a minute. Um, but I read the, these two books are recommended to me. Um, one is Philip Yancey's uh, What's So Amazing About Grace? And the second is The Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. Um, and these, I just found these excellent books because they didn't have that that challenge that I think some books can have. I remember a friend recommending to me The Pursuit of Holiness, and I just thought, oh, no. And <laughs> that sounds far too challenging. Um, but um, I'm sure that book's very good if you've read it. Anyway, um, but I just found these books just so encouraging because they were talking about the grace of God and how it's not up to us and and I, I just found them so so rewarding, um, and particularly I think the Ragamuffin Gospel, the, the the line that just came out of this that stood out to me was, um, it said, "God is far more concerned that you know that He loves you than He is about anything that you've done for Him. He's far more concerned that you know that He loves you than about anything that you've done for Him." So if anybody wants to borrow these books, you're very, very welcome um, or to get a, a copy yourself. Um, but I just want to leave, leave that with you. It's not about what we do before God. It's about knowing his love for us, what he's done for us through Jesus, that the, the humble state that we are in before God is what brings us into relationship with him brings us into true relationship with him.
And for that recognition, we are blessed. We are blessed. Amen.